Well, something I remember hearing when I was in school and I've carried with me ever since, I have to remind myself every so often, is that my work is important but not precious. Yes, it helps hit a goal, but like I think being able to remind myself that this isn't this precious thing that I need to protect and it's like a direct reflection of who I am and what I do, that's not what it is. Hello and welcome to Rel and Friends Podcast. I am Rel and this is the podcast where I interview my friends who are creative professionals. That could be a photographer, that could be a videographer, it could be a musician. It could be one of many hundreds of DJs that I know. It could be someone in marketing. It could be someone that just paints on the side. Yes. I have a friend that does that. So you're going to get a wide variety of folks with great backgrounds, great insight, a whole lot of inspiration to give. And I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but this podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Art of Storytelling. Art of Storytelling is founded by me. It is my company. It has one full-time employee, and that's me. That's right. I am a small agency. I have a team of contractors that someday I would love to hire full time because they're all the homies and we do really great stuff together. The problem is you can't see any of it and not because it's super top secret. It's because I'm horrible at getting a website built. You know what? This is episode number four. It's time for me to reach out to my community. I'm sure I built up a little a little something by now, right? Episode four. I need help with the website, guys. I've got the design. I need to work through a few more things. I've got ChatGPT, a great assistant, doesn't talk back, but needs help. So holler at me. I've got a good amount of stuff going on in my world these days. If anyone in the Bay Area is familiar with Zoo Labs, we have been handling post-production for a lot of their courses for the last couple of years now. We just finished up their fall courses, so those will be going up soon. It's always a pleasure working with them. And it looks like I might be making a trip to L.A. pretty soon, so L.A. Familia, I will be hollering. Stay tuned. All right, let me talk to my fellow video editors out there or anyone that just dabbles with Adobe Premiere Pro. They just released their 24.0 version. I had it automatically update as I have that in my settings, so I don't have to worry about it. They're claiming five times faster timeline performance. One of the big features they're mentioning is text-based editing. I felt like this was a feature in here already, but I have yet to play with it. I might have to go hit up YouTube University to see how people are implementing that in their workflow. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of like transcribing and then creating a Word doc, and that's been really useful um, for being able to go back and find like pulling quotes that might be useful in edit when I'm later in the editing phase. If that could somehow seamlessly work into Premiere, I might be really interested. 
And then a lot of new color settings, features, audio, auto tagging, maybe as you use that. I don't know. I usually hit up my boy Al to handle posts for audio. I'm not a sound guy, even though I used to make beats. You know, that's why I stopped making beats because I'm not a sound guy. Uh, and they have project templates. I do mostly documentary style work. And there is sort of a template there, but there isn't. You know what I'm talking about, right? Anyway, my fellow video editors hit me up on the IG, R-E-L dot M-O-V. You can also hit me up at artiststorytelling.co on IG. I am R-E-L on Twitter. I rarely use that, and I still haven't figured out TikTok. So don't even hit me there. My guest today, I'm very proud to introduce to everybody that's listening. Her name is Cheryl De Rosario. I've known Cheryl for a very long time, pretty casually through mutual friends and through the Bay Area party scenes in the early 2000s. Like most of the people that I know, we share a lot of blurry memories. But some things that stick out to me about Cheryl, I always really appreciated her design style, her taste. She is very into geek culture, which I appreciate. And we have worked on a couple projects together where she was contracted. And just the way she handled herself throughout those processes was very impressive. She has since been promoted professionally to art director and creative directors and the such you'll hear in the interview. But I had a similar journey when um, I was promoted to a director at a job many moons ago. So we talk a little bit about that transition. It can be tough. We touch a little bit on imposter syndrome, which is something that I really went through and how to conquer that. So I know there's some people out there that can relate. So hopefully this conversation lets you guys know that you're not alone. It happens. But I need you guys to do me a huge favor. Once you're done listening and you're super inspired, go pay Cheryl a visit to her social media. On Instagram, she is underscore C-H-E-R-Y-L-L. Don't forget the two L's. I myself have sent her several emails with just one L and I always forget to say sorry. So Cheryl, I apologize now. But let's get into the interview. My deep dive with the homie Cheryl Del Rosario. Can you tell me your favorite rap line? Real G's move in silence like lasagna. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, I love that. And it's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Real G's move in silence like lasagna. So welcome to the podcast. You are actually interview number four. Oh. No episodes are out yet as we're recording this, but it's called Rel and Friends. And it's a podcast where I interview my friends who are in the creative professional field and just talk about the nuances of being a creative professional. And I like to start every show off with a memory that I have about the guest. And my memory actually makes me look bad. So first of all, <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a lot of memories. I just, a, a lot of good memories of us having like really fun conversations. And it's usually at a party and I was usually not sober. So, I, I probably of, wasn't either. Let's be honest. Yeah, I probably yeah. wasn't either. A lot of blurry memories, but one specific <laughs> one. 
and it's crazy because you're in gaming field now. Yeah. But early Twitter days, I used to be really loose on Twitter, like just saying the dumbest things. We all things. were. We all <laughs> <Okay>. were. <laughs> I had to delete a lot looking back. So when I matured more, I'm still very immature, but I just don't put it on Twitter anymore. Right. So I was at E3 and I was not a gamer. I'm not a gamer. But at the time I was there, I was tweeting real hater gamer stuff like, oh, these dweebs, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you replied one word and said hater. And, like, <laughs> and you were the one person that called me out on that. And it made me think like, I am kind of being a hater. I need to stop this. You know what I mean? So, so I'm sorry for being a hater toward your field. And thank you for calling me out. It's all right. It's all right. You get used to it. I have my hands in a lot of fandoms and things that get hate. So this isn't normal. I'm like, whatever. It's fine. I don't even remember this. <laughs> You're deep in geek culture, I would say. Yeah. And I, I mean that respectfully because oh, yeah. geeks are awesome. Uh, I worked at CNET for very long. I know a yeah. lot of geeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So first of all, can you just introduce yourself and your profession and where you're at? Sure. So I'm Cheryl Rosario. I am the Director of Creative Marketing at Pocket Gems, which is a mobile gaming studio based in San Francisco. Our claim to fame is an interactive storytelling game slash app called Episode, which is largely used by young women between the ages of like 13 to 25. So I help do creative marketing for that game. So you're a creative director and doing mostly marketing for the game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So as far as your creative skill sets, like what in the creative space were you like hands on in during your creative journey that got you here? Yeah. So I originally went to art school for a graphic design degree. So mm -hmm. I've always been doing, yeah, just design related work. And I, I think I drifted into the marketing space and helping marketing departments like pretty early on. And when I say marketing, it was like everything from like advertising to like designing catalogs and doing installation design for trade shows and stuff like that. I've always been into gaming. So I've worked in a bunch of industries and then I eventually got into gaming proper. And then from there, I basically have been in gaming for the last like, yeah, almost 20 years, I think. Yeah. And then it's mobile gaming specifically, right? Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I used to work a little bit in console gaming, but it's on the journalism media side. And then right. I switched to the development side. Cool, cool, cool. So being a creative lead specifically for mobile, what makes it different? Like from traditional, because we had to start designing for mobile really in the last decade. You know what I mean? How's that change everything that you've had yeah. to do? So mobile gaming marketing specifically is performance marketing. Everything is tracked. Everything has data against it. Everything is tested. And we're constantly monitoring numbers on everything you do. So it's interesting because you try to take creative, which is a very subjective it's kind of like vibe checks, essentially. Yeah. And then you shove it into a space of marketing where like everything is like, how many people clicked on it? How long did they watch your video? Did they follow through to the end? So it's a lot of negotiation between the data versus creative just gut checks. I think on the creative side, it's pretty easy to get burned out from this because it's hugely a numbers game. Like we make almost maybe like close to 100 ads every month. And mm -hmm. of those 100, maybe if we're lucky, like 10 will do well. The rest of them just get mm. lost in the ether forever. So you're just constantly having to create new content. So when you're looking at those numbers, what are some examples of like things that you would lean into that did well? So the big thing for us is the hook. So like the first few seconds, we make a lot of video ads, for instance. Okay. And 
for context for people, if you've ever played like a free to play game or even like a free to play app, you know, you get like interstitial ads that'll jump in and be like, if you haven't paid for the full version of this, you're going to get an ad every, mm-hmm. I don't know, 20 seconds. Yes, so we make annoying. the ads. Yes. That, yeah. <laughs> so we make, <laughs> we make the ads that appear in those like 30 seconds that you have to watch before you can do something else. Got it. So one of the big metrics we look at is click-through rate or CTR, how often people actually tap into the ad to get to the next stage, which is usually like the app store page or something like that. That's one of our key metrics. And then conversion, which is if you tapped into the ad and then you downloaded it, that's considered a successful ad as well. Okay. Okay. So you're producing these ads for your internal brand or are you like outsourcing for other people as well? It's for internal. We market for the game episode. The game itself is the storytelling game. And a lot of Mm -hmm. the stories revolve around like romance and like you fell in love with your mafia boss and maybe okay. this vampire dude likes you. And so it's so like our okay, ads are okay. like kind of irreverent and silly, but also like largely around like love and interesting slice of life scenarios. Okay. So what is your like target demographic? Young women, 13 to 25. We can drift all the way Got maybe it. to like 35, but our core audience is like young girls in high school, like early college. So Got it. a lot okay. of, yeah, a lot of what I'm doing now, because this is a new audience for me to market towards. A lot of what I'm doing now mm-hmm. is sitting on TikTok and like trying to understand like, what are the youth <laughs> into? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's so funny. You know, it's insane how like very niche companies are now, because I would never even think there was like a company focused on that niche of an audience, but I guess there is. Yeah. I get a lot of the ones that are meant for toddlers because my kids are always, I mean, they're on their iPads a lot. Sorry for the no screeners. <laughs> and I've bought so many apps just because of that. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. always a new one and I'm a subscribe to too many. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Do you have a daughter? I, I have a daughter. Yeah. You have a daughter. So mm-hmm. like there's a direct pipeline from the apps that your daughter will be playing and then she'll eventually go to like Roblox then to Minecraft, mm-hmm. then to episode. Like there is a line. My niece is 16. She went through the same path. She's like, I used to play <laughs> crappy free-to-play games. And then she got into Roblox. And then from Roblox, she heard about Minecraft. And then from Minecraft, for whatever reason, a bunch of girls go off and they start playing episodes. Oh, man. <laughs> See, I, I'm trying to like guide her. I have two kids. I have a a, a son. My, my daughter's older. She's just turned five. And my son just follows whatever she does. Yeah. Right now, she's really into this beat making app that I got for her. Oh. So I'm hoping she stays on that. And she really <laughs> loves like drawing and stuff too. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I get all those yeah. apps. Sometimes I'm not watching, I admit. And then some weird thing is on <laughs> her iPad. <laughs> so your background really in the creative space is design and graphic design. Yeah. Is that yep. safe to say? Okay. Yeah. And for a long time, you were professionally designing for companies. And then you made that transition to, was it an art director first? Yeah. So I went through like the ranks of like junior designer, designer, senior, associate art director, art director. And then Uh like I had every title. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. So I went through a similar thing at a company I was at for a long time. And I know a lot of people go through this, that transition from going from the worker to the lead. So you're going from being the person that produces and it's the thing that you love to do. And then all of a sudden like, okay, now you're going to become someone that manages all the people that produce. What were some of the big adjustments for you when doing that? The big one is not making stuff. I went from being like, here are a bunch of tasks you have to do, like here are a bunch of assets you need to make by the end of the week to 
here are 5,000 meetings you need to sit in and then tell your team that these all things, these things need to make. And like, yeah. So in this current job, I'll maybe open Photoshop maybe once a month, if that, and that's usually just to open a file and to look at it and not because I need to actually make anything. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty wild. And I think one of the challenges in the creative space is that there really isn't leadership training for that they just assume that as you progress through your career you're just going to figure it out but creative leadership versus typical management we have to consider a lot more things than maybe yes a typical manager would do right because we're juggling the personalities obviously everyone does this, the personalities and the egos of your team but also on top of that because creative is so intrinsically personal it's like how do you feed your team so they can still make good creative work while also keeping them on track within the company goals uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then also managing the fact that like burnout is absolutely real yeah. and can affect you day to day. I think it's much more obvious when a creative person suffers burnout than maybe someone else on another team. Yep. In yep. my opinion, and, at least. Yeah, no, definitely. Creatives are sensitive, man. <laughs> like, and rightfully <laughs> so. Cause like you said, like people put a lot of their emotion into their work <laughs> and, and that's what it is that's where your style comes from from who you are and you put that in there whether it's like consciously or subconsciously and to be told that your stuff wasn't the right thing or it wasn't good enough and those words you use to give feedback you need to be delicate i've dealt with it it's a lot to deal with because you're kind of a psychiatrist and <laughs> like a manager at the same time you know All right, listen up, guys. I'm sorry to do this. I got to take a quick break from this interview to let you guys know about something very special I have going on. About three years ago, I created this company called Art of Storytelling. And basically what we do is we sell cassette tapes of Slick Rick's The Art of Storytelling. Just kidding. So I run a full service production company. We do everything from ideation, pre-production, production, post-production, very much geared around solving problems through storytelling. So the next time you're in a brainstorm meeting with your boss and he says, we need to create a video to create impact or to make a splash for some sort of initiative, send them my way. I promise you'll be the hero. You'll be the office hero once they get that beautifully shot vertical video that everyone watches on their phones. Hit me up rail.mov on ig chances are i have a video that you need already let's talk it through all right back to the program there's a segment i do on the show called for the love of money money. and the goal is to have some conversations around money in the creative space in hopes to uh, build some transparency it was always a subject i never knew what other people were making so i didn't know what i should be charging stuff like that and I'm not going to get too much into it, but I'll tell my story and I want to see if you had the same experience. So when I became a lead, I suddenly got access to knowing how much money everyone made. And then I started being in charge of what raises they got and stuff like that. The thing that I noticed right away, first of all, the youngest people made the least, which is kind of a given. But then there was some very senior women that made way less than the men there. Mm. And they were very talented minorities that made a lot less than the people that have been there for a long time as well. And these could be people that were producing content that made millions. When you went through that transition, did you experience any of that similar situation? So I think my situation was pretty unique because I've always worked in companies where it was 
primarily people of color in charge. And when I started getting into leadership, my direct leadership were all POCs as well. So when I started getting access to those numbers, it all felt pretty even. They felt fair. I also think because I work in mobile gaming, which typically pays more than like, if you're not familiar with the gaming space in general, like console gaming, usually they have decent salaries, but then mobile gaming, because we're just kind of in some ways printing money, uh, (laughs) we pay pretty well across the board. Oh, that's cool. So I'd say like, I've been pretty lucky in that like the numbers usually match up for what we're doing. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. And I know tech can be very male dominated, but I guess like right. mobile gaming and you're specifically targeting women. Is it mostly <laughs> a, a female staff? Yeah, largely, which is really cool. Okay, cool. Awesome. Did you ever deal with imposter syndrome when you when oh, you yeah. became? Uh, okay, okay. Still. I dealt with it still. heavy. Oh, still? <laughs> <laughs> still dealing with it. This like never goes away. Yeah. <laughs> For background, like I spent almost nine years at my previous company, also in the mobile gaming space. When I moved to this current company, I was creative director. And the combination of being in an entirely new company and understanding their culture and how they worked, and then being in a director role was like humongous. Every meeting I sat in, I was like, should I be here? Who is the adult in the room? Oh, it's me. I'm the adult in the room. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone's looking at you for the answer. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So again, I've been pretty lucky in that like I've had my current boss... He's super great. I can be very, very candid with him about these feelings and be like, yeah, you know, I'm still feeling like I'm trying to understand all these things. We had a book club together. We read books about leadership and he's always been super supportive. And on top of that, I think as I built up a rapport with my team and my other coworkers, just understanding that I wasn't just hired as like a culture fit. It was like, you know, like I was hired for a reason. But I think as a woman in this space, and especially because this is like tech or tech adjacent, I guess. I think it's always something in the forefront of my mind. Like I'll be in meetings with vendors or clients and stuff like that and just be like, oh, I'm the expert. Like, <laughs> just like, yeah, 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 yeah. like, you know what I mean? Just have to remind myself that that's a thing. Yeah, it's always in the back of my mind. So is your strategy just remind yourself, I got here for a reason? Is yeah. that kind of what goes through yeah. to push yourself out of that? Cool. Yeah, that, that was similar to what I did. Yeah, it's that. And I think just the comfort level as I've been with this company for almost two years now. So I think that has helped get used to people and feeling more secure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what so I, so what for. about your last company when you got promoted to a director level? Was there any weird imposter syndrome feeling there or anything that went on with that? Less so, I think, because I had been with the company for so long and we did have a lot of turnover. So the people that I started with were all people that grew up together in some ways. Like we'd be in meetings and it's like, these are the people that are like, we went up through the ranks and we all experienced it together so it was like a collective sense of like are we doing the right thing like are we supposed to be here but i think the transition to a new company and suddenly interacting with a bunch of folks that i wasn't familiar with that brought up a whole new feeling of like am i doing this right should i be here am i the expert that you think i am all that stuff so are you giving a lot of like creative feedback currently to specific designers is that a regular thing that you do yeah because we're producing so much content for advertising, we're getting assets to look at pretty much daily. And so we're always constantly giving feedback to make sure the pipeline stays smooth and we get stuff out in time. Mm-hmm. And is your feedback mostly like visual, like design wise, or is it based on those numbers that you mentioned? Like what's performing well, or is it a little bit of both? It's both. So we have 
two sides of it. So we're actually producing like the ads that you see. So that's all visual feedback, like a, you know, make her hair purple or something like that. <laughs> and then internally, because we're the ones that come up with the ideas for these ads, it's talking to the team and being like, all right, that's a great idea. Can we make it? Can we push this idea further? Or we've seen this trend picking up steam. So like, let's all think of something that relates to this that we can use for upcoming creatives. Okay, let's talk about giving feedback. First, let's rewind and remember to when you used to get feedback. Do you remember getting your feelings hurt when you got feedback? Yeah, all the time. I think early on for sure, because everything is personal, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. I, this is this is my like it's your baby. I spent hours on this thing, and you just said no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that started in school, like in art school. I remember you throw your work up on the wall, and everyone would sit around in the class and just be like, "That's bad. That's in your teachers. That didn't hit whatever you were talking about." And you're just like, "Oh, I'm trying not to cry." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely, I have very vivid memories of being in school and like walking out of class and crying. <laughs> like yeah. Immediately after class, in the professional field, not as much, but I've had instances where I've had my previous creative directors just take something from me. Oh, just give me the file and I'll fix it. And I'm like, okay. Mm, <laughs> it's yeah, not even- that's not worse even than bad feedback. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a discussion. It's faster if I just do it. I'm like, all right, yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know, okay, so being a lead now, do you get that now? Do you understand that? Like, just give me your file and let me finish it. Yeah, right. Yeah, because like sometimes it is that way. Yeah, I've maybe pulled that card maybe once or twice yeah. since then because mm -hmm. I know how yeah. cuz I think like it's a shitty feeling. Yeah. Like it's Yeah, it's, it's totally terrible. Is. It totally it's is. Terrible. And and it like, also sets a bad precedent because they could get really lazy after a while and just be like, "Well, yeah. if it's wrong, they'll just fix it for me." You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you do any design work at all anymore or is it pretty much done? It's stuff for fun, like I'll make something dumb for myself or whatever but professionally rarely it's really just meetings that i think like 75 percent of the week and then outside of that it's like working with teams to produce things what motivates your creativity now because even as a director you still got to be motivated somehow by creative you know or keep yourself sharp what is that outlet for you now well i've always really been into pop culture like as you mentioned like i'm pretty entrenched in the geek community so like i think for me like inspiration doesn't come necessarily from other design it's coming from just like what's happening in the world and like the things that i'm into like i said i spend way too much time on tiktok now and just like kind of <laughs> i love understanding our audience and trying to understand like what are 16 year old girls into you know not that i'm trying to make myself younger but i'm just like oh like one of the activities that we do as a team to keep us like fresh is we do quarterly presentation parties where we pick a topic that's related to our audience and we do like a three to five minute presentation, like PowerPoint deck, all of it. And so I discussed the origin and usage of the word Riz <laughs> recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's stuff like that. That's what fuels me now is understanding really our cool. audience and trying to get in their shoes. A lot of times it's like very relatable. Like I remember being concerned about the same things when I was their age, but mm -hmm. some of the stuff is new that's been driving me currently. That's cool. That's really cool. That sounds like a fun exercise. I wish I would have thought of that when I was a, a creative lead. Fun thing to, to keep people motivated. But what are some things that you do to keep the team motivated and still thinking creatively when a lot of feedback might come from some data and it, sometimes it does compromise the design for what you think could actually look better? How do you keep a team full of creatives still like motivated and excited to still not just 
you know, plug away at like templated formats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm of the mindset that like, if you can keep it fun, at least 70% of the time, you're doing all right. We're lucky in that we work in gaming. So fundamentally, we should be having fun. The process to get there, it's like a lot of work, but I try to keep it pretty lighthearted in a lot of our stuff. Yes, we have to crunch numbers and there's data saying that you didn't do well. But when we come up with ideas for future creatives, we're dropping jokes. Like the feedback is always pretty loose. It's never a personal thing. It's always just like, how can we make this better? Or that's a great idea, but we're going to get in trouble if we do this. Like, you know what I mean? So I try to keep it pretty light. We spend like a majority of our lives working. So like we can have fun having work. That's like the dream. So it makes me feel better. And I try to extend that to my team. And I think that helps as well. The pressure is going to be there regardless. I don't have to express to them what's at stake for us to get things done. Yeah. They already know. Yeah. But it's like in yeah. the process of getting there, if we can keep it fun, I think that helps. Yeah, for sure. One thing I used to do regularly when I was frustrated with my job is just remind myself like, I'm doing creative for a living. Like a lot of people would love to be in my shoes. You, you have to compromise on your creative. But the fact is you're making cool images. You're doing fun stuff. You're adding your flavor to it. You can't really ask for much more. You know what I mean? But to rewind back to your early days when you decided you wanted to pursue the creative field, was it specifically like graphic design that you wanted to do? Like say in like college or something? Yeah. So my dad was a traditional sign painter. So I used to watch him do hand lettering and stuff as a kid. He would take on side gigs and like paint signs in the garage. And so I've always been into that. Like type, I didn't know what typography was, but I just knew I liked letters. So I think I always knew I wanted to do it as a kid. I, it was a kind of a struggle to convince my parents that it would make sense that I could make a living doing it, <laughs> but convince them and they supported me. But yeah, like I think I've always known that I wanted to do something creative. I just didn't know like the terminology or what that entailed in the real world. Yeah. And saying you want to go into like design back in the day sounded like such a like sketchy thing to get into. And I was going to say like since being a traditional Filipino family household, like anything in the arts is just for fun. But yeah. Not, that's not like you. they want you to secure a safe job. You know what yeah. I mean? So I was thinking because your dad was a painter, did that kind of like help you pursuing this side? You would think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, in another lifetime, my dad would have been the one that would have gone to art school and become a professional artist. He liked the fact that was something that I was interested in, but he was just worried that I wouldn't be able to make a living out of it because he had a military background. So his craft was centered within military budgets and spending. He had the security of that behind it. It wasn't like he was out freelancing and just like painting signs on the weekends and stuff. And that was his path to get there. But fundamentally, like he went through the military. Mm -hmm. My mom was an accountant. So like she was like, my mom You're was right, like, right, what right, do you know? Right. This is not, we're not doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it had to be a very safe career, yeah. right? Yeah, Was there exactly. a field that they were tr pushing you in as opposed to doing this? My mom was like, you're a good writer. Why don't you be a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how that, I don't know how that, I'm not yeah. sure how that related, but she was like, what, you know, the typical lawyer, doctor, yeah, 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 stuff like that. And then she was like, you know, growing up, like the internet was brand new and I was like really into computers. 
And she's like, why don't you go into computer science? No yeah, idea right. what this was. And she's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, should yeah. learn computers. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you started using a computer a lot for design work, did you become the computer expert of the house? Oh, yeah. Still. I still am. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the thing I hate the most. Just because I use a computer doesn't mean I know how to build one. Yeah. Or you're like, I'm not going to fix your networking problems. Like, I'm not an IT person. Like, <laughs> yeah, I use Photoshop. Leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So your early days of designing, when did you first get like a check for doing your creative work? Yeah, it probably wasn't until I graduated because I was doing like unpaid internships during college. Yeah, my first job out of college was for radio and doing like ads for okay. radio. So yeah. That's where that mm -hmm. thing came from. So that was my first design paycheck. Did you design like the KML billboards and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The KML billboards, that first iteration of the floating heads, essentially. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I did a Summer Jam logo once. I, think, I forget what year it was, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the radio really had a templated style. Okay, I always shit on radio and I don't mean to do this because <laughs> I have so many friends in radio. Right, but right. I think radio is the perfect example of compromising design for doing what works. Does that yes. make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm not a hater on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think it's true of a lot of industries though, right? Like you find the one thing and you're like, well, it's simple to just recreate that thing and do it every year. The billboard that I made for KML, they eventually use that same format for like 949 and like mm -hmm. Star 101. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that wasn't the intent. But I'm like, okay. Did you like <laughs> pave the way for radio design? Because I see that same design in other cities. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not going to claim that at all. Like, I don't, okay, okay. <laughs> like, I don't think so at all. <laughs> it's like, I know the person that created that. <laughs> and that format was just literally born out of necessity. I was pulling images off of like Google. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like get the hottest artists and put them all in one picture, basically. Yeah. The lighting is different. How they were shot was different. And we're like, we're going <laughs> to yeah. drop them all in the black and white and then like yeah, just yeah. kind of lay them out and figure it out. Would you say that led the way to the pen and pixel style that like cash money album cover look? Because it kind of is the precursor to that. I never thought about that. Yeah, I, I'm just I, thinking about I, it right now. <laughs> yeah, I would love to say that's true, but I don't think... I, <laughs> yeah, I think okay, that might okay. be a, a little bit of a stretch because I love the pen and pixel. I mean, I'm wearing a shirt that yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I love yeah. the pen and pixel stuff. And Yeah, me too, I, yeah. me too. That, I think that's diamonds and everything is good. <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever do party flyer design? I did, did I? In college. Didn't get paid okay. for it, though. The not Fili even 100 bucks or anything? No, like because I was an officer in the Filipino-American club, and they're just like, we're not paying you. you just, this is part of your job. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. What about party promoters? Did you do it for any party promoters? No, because I think everyone out here, at least in the Bay, had people that they worked with already. And I didn't oh, like right. put myself out there like that. I was just like, that's not. Yeah, it's the, it's the epitome of getting taken advantage of. <laughs> I mean, you, you, Trust me, you and your I was brother a promoter. Yeah, yeah, you and your brother. Yeah, you and your brother we were all made all in the house. flyers. We were, yeah, we were all in house. So, but you know, can you do this for three drink tickets? And it's like, man, it's gonna take me three days to do this. <laughs> I know. Like, there's gonna be feedback and like rounds of revisions. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, oh man, the revisions. Um, <laughs> okay, so speaking of the revisions, there's a segment that I get into called scope creeps. So a scope creep is a term that creative professionals use to describe when a client's expectations or deliverables change over time without any conversation about compensation, 
or pay change? Do you have any scope creep stories? Yeah, it's actually not related to a project. It's related to a job. I went from being trying to be as vague as possible, but like I, <laughs> I went from being a designer and as the company changed and restructured, they started just saying Cheryl works in this area. All the people that used to work with her in that area are now gone and it's just Cheryl. So let's just add more stuff that she's doing that are tangentially related to what she's doing, but not. So at some point I was like digging into like campaign management for ad networks and like sitting in meetings with Google and Facebook and trying to understand like how do we target certain audiences like on a like platform network level. And I'm like, I was just making ads. I'm like, like, what's going on? (laughs) That would have continued, I think. If I had it changed positions, but it, yeah. it wasn't just a project. It was literally the whole job just morphed into something yeah. else. So when I tell people in the industry, like how that happened, they're like, wait, so you're doing this, 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 this. I'm like, yeah, they're like, that's like four different jobs. I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. And I've seen that happen. That's the ultimate scope creep story. Cause that's not just like one project where it's like, oh, yeah. it's like, that's your life. You know, yeah. it usually happens when someone leaves or like there's a reorg. And then they just combine duties into yep. one task. And if you don't do it, then they'll just hire some young guy that's cheaper to, to do all of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just like, it's, it's uh, the worst, man. You know, as like designers and creatives, like our big selling point is that we're essentially problem solvers, right? The idea of getting scrappy is intrinsic to our natures. It's like, we've all had to do stuff where it's like, you only have the $50 to do this thing, go do the thing. I'm like, all right, like I'll figure it out. And I think people take advantage of that fact and say, well, you can figure out for this thing. Can you figure out for this bigger thing? And we will pay you yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> and, and, and I think also people don't understand how time-consuming creative work is. One small revision could take a week, depending on what that is. For some reason, people are under the impression like, oh, just control, delete, and you'll have a whole new layout. Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't work that way. All right, last series of questions really quick. What does the next five years look like to you? I keep thinking that I'll probably try to get out of gaming, but I like this industry so much and I get to do a bunch of just like really fun, kooky things and get paid for it that it's hard for me to not imagine being in it. Yeah, I want to have a like a strong retirement plan. Like, where am I going to be? How am I going to afford it? Then what are my retirement hobbies going to be like in five years? Uh, I'm still going to be working. I'm still going to be working for sure. We live in high cost of living cities. Like, it's like yes, early retirement mm-hmm. isn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but sucks. the next level from creative director, I think you start to get into like sort of C level ish type stuff, like chief creative officer, that kind of thing. That's never interested me. I like still being part of the day to day for creative production, even though I'm not actually making anything. So I'm pretty happy in terms of staying within this level. Yeah, I've never really gunned for being the face of anything. That's never been an appealing thing. I, I've always liked being more behind the scenes and, and getting my hands dirty with mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, if you get up to that C-suite, you're definitely not doing any creative work. No, no. You're sitting yeah, in yeah. meetings you're, all you're day. to the head honchos, yeah. And the shareholders and board of directors and oh, stuff like yeah. that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, man, those are all bad <laughs> words to me. okay so next question if you could say anything to the young you rewinding back what would that be well something i remember hearing when i was in school and i've carried with me ever since i have to remind myself every so often is that my work is important but not precious 
yes, it helps hit a goal. But like, I think being able to remind myself that this isn't this precious thing that I need to protect. And it's like a direct reflection of who I am and what I do. That's not what it is. Yeah. It can still be important. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. A lot of people, their job becomes their identity. I don't know if God forbid you lose your job or the company starts to have a bad press or something like that. It's just, you put so much into yourself and also being able to remove yourself from the work a little bit, just so you like your feelings aren't hurt when you get that feedback that you don't want to hear. Yeah. That's great yeah. feedback. AI, fear it or use it? It's funny. We just did a bunch of exploration on generative AI for our production stuff. I think it's good to understand what's out there. I don't think it's the smoking gun that people think it is. Maybe eventually, but all the talks I've had with people, like because generative AI is such a hot like buzzword at this point, like it's as much a marketing term as it is technology, in my totally. opinion. So you're always going to need people to review everything that gets churned out from generative mm -hmm. AI. And mm -hmm. then the process to get what you want often takes longer than just having someone do it directly. Mm. The business side hasn't figured that out yet. They haven't realized that like, it's not just a snap of your fingers. Like I'm not gonna be able to type in like, please make a unicorn riding a walrus into the sunset yeah. and have him advertise deodorant. It's not gonna come out mm -hmm. beautifully. I do think that technology is interesting, but I think it's gonna take way more time than people realize to get it to a place where it's gonna be this game changer for the industry. Yep. In small increments, yep. I think there's value, but I think a lot of the smaller things that people are latching onto, like, oh, you can use generative AI to like mask out people in a video. I'm like, that's something we could have done before. Like that yeah, After right. Effects had that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. tag generative AI on top of it and suddenly everyone's talking about it. This right. technology existed. It's just gotten better and it'll continue to get better. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's going to wipe out whole industries yet. And on top of that, I yeah. think as people continue to use it more and more you can actually see a style being developed from generative yeah. ai in terms of what they're producing so you can look at images now and be like oh that's ai generated totally and tell, it didn't yeah. take long to get there that's like within months because it's starting to like rehash itself and maybe that can just exist as an aesthetic separate from the stuff that we like humans produce as well i see uh, that the ai possibility. look yeah 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 and now like yeah. the ai rappers like they'll just have their own like little community yeah, that we kind of yeah. tap into every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Is, is AI worked into you guys' workflow at all or, or not really? We've used some of it for like voiceover work, but like we mm -hmm. do it in a way that's like, we're not trying to hide the fact that it's AI. Again, it's like an aesthetic in a sense. It's like mm -hmm. that TikTok voice, that kind of stuff. We'll yep. use it in that sense because we think it's comedic or it, it lends mm -hmm. itself to whatever the theme is of whatever we're producing. But we haven't gone the route of being like, we're trying to pass this off as like, a human did it. We haven't gone that route yet. Yeah, yeah. So AI, it, it's been hard for me to integrate it into video work. But one area that it was really helpful was that VO work. Because I AI voice do like a VO for a script that I wrote. And then I was able to make a rough edit video to give to a client to do the real VO. So <laughs> that in ways like that's how I see AI being used now as a tool to get you to that final product. But everyone's just scared right now. Yeah, yeah. Which I understand. And I think part of the- AI's five-year yeah. plan is to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've been saying that about robots and like automation for forever. And we're, we're starting to see like pieces of it. You know, you go to a restaurant and you order via kiosk rather than a person, but there's still a person there. Like a person still needs to be there to make the thing and like 
you know, if there's a problem, because there's always going to be a problem, like there's always going to be humans there. Yeah. Those little robots in like at the hotels and stuff, those are like little cute robots. The scary ones are those Boston Dynamic robots. Have you oh, seen yeah, those? Yeah, yeah. Like the dogs yeah, and was, stuff? Yeah, that, the dogs. Those are the yeah, ones yeah, we yeah. fear. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. those can actually like do crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They can kill you. Like on accident, they can kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the last segment, I like to end every show with a segment called Drop a Gem on Them. Cheryl, can you just drop any gem for any young designer out there or anyone in general? Can you just drop some knowledge? Shit in, shit out. Absorb good stuff. And you can decide what good means. I don't think there's a specific aesthetic. I don't think there's one element of culture is better or worse than another. But like, try to get the best of whatever you're into and absorb that. Because whatever you absorb, you'll eventually output. So read all the books, watch all the movies. If you like trashy TV, watch the best trashy TV. But all that stuff will eventually manifest itself in your work. So if you're only watching the terrible things or you're consuming the terrible aspects of whatever it is you're into, that will also reflect itself in your work as well. Oh, man. Well said. That's a gem right there. Thank you so much for Thank being you. in the show. I know you're busy. Probably got some meetings coming up, but I appreciate yeah. it. As usual. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. This was fun. Thanks, Cheryl. And there it is. That was my interview, my episode of Rail and Friends with my friend Cheryl. A lot of takeaways there. There's a lot of things that I could relate with, but hopefully anyone out there who's went through that sort of transition that big moment where you're the producer of content and then you go and become the lead it becomes very different on the outside you know people probably looking at you like you got it made and on the inside you're all these thoughts are going through your mind it's a whole new skill set that you need to learn and process and go through and finding inspiration gets a little harder at least that's how I felt but it was great catching up. If you guys enjoy that, give us a follow, artoftstorytelling.co. I'm R-E-L dot M-O-V on IG. Both of those are on IG. And big shout out to the homie John Reyes, producer extraordinaire of this podcast. Give him a follow as well. I don't know his name off top, but it's out there. Hey, John, can we start a voicemail? I want to do that. I want to do a voicemail. I want to do the old school G-Line voicemail. Shout out your Kick It crew. Tell me where the next kickback is at. Put on your best voicemail voice and R&B house remix in the background. And talk like Victor Saragosa. Peace, y'all.